My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Most people will have seen or heard of Jurassic Park the movie. Few, however, will be aware of Jurassic Park the fishing venue. Yet another good mix of monsters and predators, only this time all with fins. And that's where I am at the moment in the company of British expat angler Eddie Mounts, MD of Fish Thailand, which provides visiting anglers from all over the world with complete and instant access to some of the most amazing freshwater fishing opportunities on the planet. Fishery owners here have gathered up a unique mix of the largest growing predators available from the four corners of the earth, and at a price offer rod and line access to them without all the hard work and expense of trying to track them down in the wild, which I have already tried in the Amazon and elsewhere, and not surprisingly, without the same level of success. So, you're a Brit brought up on relatively small fish back home now living half a world away, currently guiding anglers to some of the biggest freshwater fish known to man. How did all that come about? Started when I was 21. I had finished uh, fisheries college after a few years in England, Brooksby College, followed by Rod Baston College. Got a, at the time, a short-lived career in fisheries management, working for a couple of places in England. And about a year and a half in, when I was 21, I decided I wanted to leave and go travelling. I had Australia in my mind, but I didn't even have Thailand in my mind at that point. And I sold up the few things I had, a car, a motorbike. I was still living with my mum and dad, so I had no ties. And I wanted to go travelling for a year, like all my other friends had done after they'd left university, but I hadn't. So I went to Australia for one year, backpacking. And after the visa had come to an end there, I flew back to England, but with a stopover in Bangkok. Well, that stopover was supposed to be two weeks, and I'm still here now. That's ten years ago, eleven years ago. I found, just by chance, Bung Sam Ran Lake, which to this day, and same back then and for 20 years prior, it's fabulous fishing of Mekong catfish, one after another, of huge sizes. But back then, when I just stumbled across it as a keen fisherman looking for somewhere to fish, no foreigners were there, no one seemed to know about it. It was very popular amongst Thai locals. There were a few expat anglers who were there. But I couldn't believe that You could be at a lake and every cast would be a 40 to 100 pound fish and yet it wasn't known particularly well to travelling anglers around the world and that's where Fish Thailand was born at first just from Bung Sam Ran and it's grown on ever since. That was the company's embryonic phase but then of course you've had to grow it on from there. I, I guess that at first as explained come across Bung Sam Ran it was kind of trial and error. Would this idea work? But, and I, I went for it. I put all my time into it. I put my energy into it. And as soon as I started getting some interest and I started getting people having great days fishing, thought it was the best thing since sliced bread and coming again and again, I thought I'm onto something here. So I formed a Thai company called Fish Thailand Limited Company. I formed that as the basis to be able to get the correct visas and work permits and be able to work legally in the country, which at the time was a very difficult process. I I had no understanding of how it worked or or how to get through all the the documentation. But once I had it formed, the company was there, I was registered. That gave me a license, so to speak, to go and look for all the other places that we could take people fishing. Although I'd started... On Bung Samran, and it was the most obvious start with all the big fish. 
we needed more. What about people coming for three days fishing, five days fishing, fishing holidays? So that's when I went around the country with my growing team that I'd met at Bung Samran, who are still with me to this day, and uh, we went around and they showed me other places to fish. I was interested in it, but of course they were the locals. They know all of the places to go. And don't forget that although Bung Samran at the time amazed me, and I was incredibly impressed with the catfish, which is what I wanted to relay to everyone else, to my team of Thais who have been brought up in that environment, they didn't really see the big deal about it. <laughs> I'd scream and shout about a 40-pound catfish, and they just didn't want to even take a picture. But they were great guys because of that to show me all the other places that without them I would never have known. The Barramundi fishing farms, Bunmar Ponds, which now is, uh, there's many, many companies taking people there. It's on lots of websites, YouTube and things like this. It's very popular now. But back then, I was one of the first to take it as a commercial enterprise and take people fishing in a place where primarily they're farming fish. And then we went on to lots of other venues, but slowly... The company Fish Thailand grew to be more and more viable as a, as a concept, as an idea. It was in the first two years, I'm talking, all of this was taking place, that I was growing more and more confident that the interest is there, the amazement from people is there, how, how amazing the fishing is here, but also the potential that I'd only just started to scrape the surface. What about all the other venues, the other species, the wilderness, the rivers, the dams, the jungle? It was at the time when I was going with locals that knew all about it for forever, but with a different twist. I was going in there with the outlook of how can I make this attractive in packages, holidays to your average traveling foreign angler. And with my team's help that are still with me today, we've made it possible. Basically what you've got here in Thailand is an odd intercontinental mix of predatory fish combining the best of what North and South America has to offer with some large-growing, hard-fighting indigenous species. So what, if anything, has that brought to the prospects? It's opened up what I can offer the angler exponentially. The introduction of all these non-native Amazonian fish have just added to my venue list, they've added to my species list, the arapaima, the alligator gar, the paku, all of those, and many more, that I can offer anglers now. What is interesting is that the different lakes offer different themes and mixes, yet all seem to work extremely well. But some fish species seemingly appear to get on better than others. This obviously allows fisheries within certain constraints to satisfy different target requests. So what exactly is on offer here, and what are the most popular options? I think if I start from shortly after I'd set the company up and looked at the native species of Thailand, what was happening behind the scenes that I didn't even know about at the time was IT Lake Monsters was, um, at the time, a very small pond that uh, the owner had a passion, a hobby for, for collecting fish like arapaima, paku, alligator gar, arowana, lots of Amazonian fish, and he was growing them on in small ponds. He was a keen enthusiast. He then expanded the pond to let a few people fish it and see what would happen. It was very popular, so he expanded the pond again to the size that if you went to IT Lake today, you would see. Then we came across that, and that's when the owner of uh, IT Lake, Mr. It, hence the name IT Lake, but the ties would call it It Lake, 
because his name is Mr. It, but as foreign as we call it, IT Lake. When we started bringing people to that lake, he saw the huge potential in uh, asking a rather high day ticket price for the fishing of his fish that he'd already been growing for several years. And he had some very big specimens. And at that point, that opened up a whole new element to fishing, a whole new species list of Amazonian fish in his lake. And for many years, IT Lake was, and it still is to a certain extent, quite famous as a lake you can go to and catch a huge diversity of Amazonian fish in a day. As time has gone on, IT Lake has become a template for other similar waters offering different combinations trying to fill every available niche. In your experience of these waters, which species mixes, both indigenous and imported, work best both for the well-being of the fishery and also in attracting anglers? As now a fishery owner, I've learned only in the last couple of years that certain fish species don't work well with others and some do. For example, the Jiao Priya catfish, which is a native fish to Thailand, is a little bit like a, a mafia fish. When they get big and they get in shoals, they're a real muscle fish and they do not tolerate, would you believe it, alligator gar, which you would have thought, because of all the armouring on it, would have no problem with the Jiao Priya catfish. But the Jiao Priyas will rough them up and they'll even descale some of them, unbelievably. For the native fish that don't get on well with each other would be the Java barb, which is a small roach-like fish. If you've got too many of them, they shoal up and they'll bully the Siamese carp. They'll actually peck at it like small piranhas. And the Java barb, being an omnivore, they're quite aggressive. So that's having too many of them is, isn't a good mix. Another species that doesn't work well to the Siamese carp, again, is the Jiao Priya catfish. It's a mussel fish if you've got them too big and too many of them. And it's more that you've got too many of them. They'll shoal up and they'll, they'll bully fish. They'll bully the carp. They'll actually use their body to power into other fish and ram them. And you can have problems if you've got too many. If, you, if you've got the right stocking level of them, it's okay. But I guess that's also what makes them a great sport fish. So from the point of view of happily coexisting and appealing to anglers, what would be the ideal species mix? A great mix that gets on well is the arapaima, works perfectly fine with Amazon red-tailed catfish. Alligator gar can be around them. Paku live in harmony with them as well. But then you can also have Siamese carp as your non-predatory option in a fishery. You can have the Indian carp, which covers three species, the Marigal, the Catla Catla, and the Rohu. They're all categorized under Indian carp. But those three species, along with the Siamese carp, work very well. I divide them into two your predators and your non-predators, no matter where they're from. And the funny thing is, it doesn't matter so much, unusually, whether they're from the Amazon or Thailand. It's the predator and non-predator. If you divide it down the middle, your carp species nearly all get on well together, and most, if not all, of those carp species are native to Thailand. The predator species that work well in the lake, to complement them, again are a mixture of Amazon and Thai. The snakehead is a Thai fish, works perfectly well with arapaima or arowana, red-tailed catfish, gets on very well with the Asian red-tailed catfish, which is Thailand's answer to the Amazon red-tailed catfish. There's no problem amongst them in a fishery. Has anyone over here ever done any experimentation with the European carp? As in the common carp, mirror carp? Yeah. yeah. 
Yes, a good question too. I looked into this because I, what I wanted to do is I would I would have loved to have added big common carp or mirror carp to the list for visiting anglers, especially as a lot of our clientele is from Europe and the UK. To have ultra big common carp swimming around, I'm sure that there'd be some anglers that would absolutely love that. And that took me on a journey, funnily enough, to the Mekong River towards north of the country, quite far from where we are now. And I came across local fishermen. I spent a long time there. And I found local fishermen on the Mekong River who were catching common carp from the river. Typically, they were catching them to what they said were 10 kilos, which is about 22 pounds. But most of them were averaging about 5, 6 kilos. So low to mid doubles. They were then taking those carp to the market, a big fish market. I won't disclose the name of the town, but the market there, there they were, the common carp. No mirrors, all commons. They were on the slab with lots of other river fish for sale as food. The value was low because it was just another food fish caught by local fishermen at certain times of year in the Mekong River. And that led me back to the fishermen. And I said to them, can I buy these fish, but can I buy them from you live? If I have to pay more, that's okay for the hassle. It's harder to keep the fish alive than it is just to sell them dead for food. They were very keen on the idea. So I found a tilapia farmer on the river who had a cage in the margins of the Mekong River. Lots of cages, a system of cages where he was growing tilapia using the, the constant good water of the Mekong River as, as the perfect environment to grow tilapia and sell for food. I hired one of his cages on a monthly basis. Well, the arrangement was to be monthly for the fishermen to come with the boats and these fish, put them in alive into the cage. When there was enough to be worth me going up there, picking them up with oxygenated water in the truck, I would then take however many it was, and at the agreed price, I would pay the fishermen for their time. And this was all very well and good, and I was very excited. I thought, wow, I'm going to be the first fishery to have real common carp fishing. Not just one or two, like some places have got, but good shoals of them, and we'll get big. My thinking much like many people listening to this perhaps, would be, why not? The common carp, we all know that in, say, France, Spain, they get much bigger than they do in the UK because of the warmer climate. So we always associate warm water, warm climate, big carp. And therefore, Thailand would surely grow monsters like Siamese carp. Why couldn't the common carp get much bigger than maybe the French ones? But that's when I learned what I learned. The common carp is a temperate climate fish. It needs an autumn, it needs a winter, it needs a spring, and then it needs the warm waters of a summer. If you have warm water all year round in the tropics, like where we are here in Thailand, typically it's 28 degrees all year round, say the water. The carp are always in hyper mode, but they are also nearly always going through spawning cycle. They don't put on weight. If anything, if you put a 10 kilo carp, a 22 pound common carp in a commercial fishery in Thailand where it has got competition with other stock species of fish, it will lose weight until it gets down to a weight of, say from 20 pounds, it'll probably go right down to eight or nine pounds. It'll look washed out. It'll look unhealthy. You won't enjoy catching it. It'll be a skinny skeleton of a fish. The reason why they don't drop weight in the river is because it's constantly running water. It's not an ideal condition for them, but it is running water, so it's better. But it's still not ideal. It's still warm water all year round, a slight fluctuation because it's in the north of a couple of degrees, which means the, the common carp, you won't find much bigger than mid-20s, 10 kilos, 20 pounds, 25 pounds. But you put them in a lake, 
in a stocked environment, they'll just drop away. So my whole plan of being the first fishery to put carp in a lake and grow them on big was foiled by this discovery that they don't in the tropics. It's very different to a temperate climate of Europe. As you've explained, different fisheries favour different mixes and star attractions, but few, if any, stock solely indigenous species. So what have the Thai authorities had to say about all this in terms of import licences, escapee safeguards and infection control? The short answer is that, as far as I know, they don't have a, a lot of input, a lot to say. They may have policies and, and protocols that I don't know of, but as a fishery owner, I've never been approached. And all the fisheries that we take people fishing to have also never been approached as to what fish have you got in the lake, where did you get them from. It seems to be that there really are no boundaries or guidelines as to what you can put in the lake. I guess that that's what makes Thailand such a fantastic place to create a fishery. Because you can do within reason what you want. If you want to try a bambooza fish from China or you want to try an arapaima from the Amazon, I've got a Wells catfish in my pond. As long as you can get hold of them, you can put them in. There's no restrictions. It all started, I think, from the aquatic trade, bringing these fish in under licence, that is licensed. But then there's a fine line to the aquatic trade into then putting them into bigger lakes. And I think that's where the grey area is. In terms of the threats to the wild, in many years to come there may well be. But again, there's no regulations to stop you stocking your lake close to a river that potentially could flood and you could lose all your fish into. There's no regulation about that at all. The consequences if the South American fish got into the wild, my personal opinion on that is in today's age right now, there's damming on the big rivers going on in China, which is affecting the flows of the Mekong River and therefore many other rivers through Thailand. There's dams in Thailand which have stopped the migration of the Mekong catfish to a certain extent. Anyone will tell you that the Mekong catfish numbers are down anyway. We have nothing to do with Amazonian fish or, or non-native fish getting into the rivers. In some stretches, there's what you could say is overfishing, spears, long lines, netting. These fish are holding higher and higher value at market, both alive and dead, more so alive, from the upgrowing of many fisheries around the country demanding big live fish. So all of that added together... The fish aren't as in strong population as they used to be anyway. I think there's a lot bigger issues in front of us right now as to why there may be less fish in the wild in Thailand today as compared to tens of years ago. If it was that the Amazonian fish could get in there, maybe there are now. I hear there might be some alligator gar knocking around in some rivers. There's probably uh, red-tailed catfish. There might even be the odd arapaima. But whatever there is out in the wild from escapees, as of today, I don't see that it's making any impact in terms of detrimental effect on the native fish stocks. Any detrimental impact on the native fish stocks that are happening today are for other reasons that have got nothing to do with the Amazonian fish. If anything, today, it's just adding more fish for them to catch into the rivers. That's the way I look at it for now. In 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, maybe then you'll get a clearer view of the actual effect that those non-native fish have in Thailand's rivers. Competition aside, the other big threat comes from disease. But if these fish are bred here as opposed to being imported, then that argument should also fall by the wayside. Certainly where we buy our non-native species fish from, they're being bred here in Thailand. There's fish farms up and coming in many different places. 
Uh, they're being spawned here and they're growing them on here. We call them non-native fish, but in terms of parasites, viruses, diseases amongst native and non-native fish, they're almost native now anyway. There's really not much differences going on. I've never heard of a body of water, be it wild or commercial in Thailand, that had a fish kill due to a non-native species of fish being put in. Being the tropics, actually, it's very, very tolerant to things like that because we don't have a winter. It's because of the warm water all year round that that risk is reduced. If you can compare it to, say, somewhere like the UK, where fisheries all over the place have problems with uh, white spot or SVC and many other uh, viruses, and it's always because of the winter. They've had the winter, spring comes, water warms up a little bit, enough for the parasites or, or viruses that were dormant to come out and take hold of a fish that's metabolism is still very low because of the water temperature. That's where a lot of where we come from and a lot of what we've learned in the UK about the, the effects of parasites and viruses on fish comes from. But in the tropics, warm water all year round, the fish fight them all year round. It's simple as that. I watched a TV programme back home recently by big fish scientist Dr Zeb Horgan, who was in Thailand on the Mekong River with local fishermen looking at the potential of non-native escapees upsetting the balance of things here, and he found alligator gars now living out in the wild, with talk of other species these fishermen were also unfamiliar with. But you don't think it's such a problem. So is it your view then to let things take their own course? I think let it take its course. For now, it's not a big problem. There may be fish being escaped into the wild, perhaps, in some places. But because it's all tropical, maybe it's for the good. We'll soon find out, I'm sure, in, in the future. But again, in a country like Thailand, a developing country, I don't think that it's such an impact as to a developed country. In a developed country, you've got to have fishing licences, there's always a government body in England, it's the EA, the Environment Agency, that strictly control the waterways. And, they, and, you know, and there's lots of bodies doing good jobs in order to keep the ecosystems in balance and no non-native species. And when something goes wrong in those countries, which have got a, an authority controlling it, it's noticeable because they've already got a fantastic ecosystem amongst the fish, the bird life, the plants. But in a developing country, there's never been an authority to keep a check on all the wild waterways. So it's not as if they've got the most healthy natural fish population and development going on anyway. So some might argue the the introduction of non-native species is adding to the fish, it's adding to the ecosystem in some way. I'm sure someone will tell me otherwise and that in many years to come that it's a big problem. But right now, I see it helping the Thai people, not the other way around. We're talking here of not only the biggest growing freshwater species in the world, but also some of the biggest specimens of each. What is it then about Thailand and the fishery setup here that facilitates all of this? In the wild, fish that are allowed to grow their entire life, if they're not netted or eaten or what have you, good quality water, I guess, and, but also the temperature. They're tropical fish in tropical waters. They're going to grow and grow and grow. They're fish species that potentially can get enormous. The Mekong catfish, for one, the freshwater stingray, the Siamese carp, the Jao Praia catfish. These are all fish that genetically can get to grotesquely enormous sizes if they're left to. And in the wild, years ago, there were more of them and they could get bigger. 
it's slightly different in what I call the commercial fisheries, the stocked lakes. I call them commercial because they're only stocked for one reason, and that's because it's a fishery, which therefore is commercial. This is interesting because, contrary to popular belief, fish grow and get big in these commercial fisheries. Why do I say that? Well, because people go to Bung Samran and they catch a 200-pound Mekong, so they think, wow, these fish grow so big in these stocked lakes, but actually that's wrong. The reason why they're, you're catching up to 200-pound Mekongs in Bung Samran and every average fish is 40 pounds is because they were stocked in that big. It's got now to the point where the stocking density, and I'll use Bung Samran as an example, but actually it can be, it, it's the same principle in many, many, many fishing parks across the country. It's stocked to such a, a great density that there is no natural food left really for them in the water. Anglers' baits are still not enough to get every fish to be full and grow, but it's just enough for them to either maintain their body weight or in some cases they will drop slightly from the weight they were put in. So when you're catching 40 pound fish every cast or 200 pound fish once a week from Bung Samran, it hasn't grown in that lake. It was put in at that weight or it was put in slightly bigger than what you just caught it at and it shrunk and maintained its weight. The opposite of that would be some fisheries, much like my own one, Jurassic, is where the stocking level is purposefully lower than a typical Thai fishing park. You catch less fish, but a lot of bait's going in, it's good bait, it's high protein, because these fish in the wild, as I explained earlier, have the potential to get big really quick. If they're not stocked too many in a fishing park, like Jurassic, they will do what they do in the wild. They will get big, and they will get big quick, but only if there's not a huge amount of competition amongst the fish, so therefore each fish that the anglers are, uh, are feeding up is getting a good share of the bait. Then you'll produce fish big and quite quick, but you can't have both. You can't have a fish every cast and have great growth rates. It's impossible. It's one or the other. What about genetic selection at the breeding centres to get fish as big as they can be, or are the ties not that sophisticated yet? I don't know of any... Uh, companies or ties or individuals that go into it to the point of mass producing very specifically selected crossbreeds of fish or genetically enhancing them to grow quickly this that and the other i don't know whether it's because they don't know how to do it or whether there's not a reason or a market out there yet certainly a fast growing strain would be popular to only probably a few places a few fisheries the ties are very very good at breeding fish they're very good at keeping fish growing fish but on a very already known level. This would probably be a good point at which to talk through a selection of some of the top fisheries themselves. The top fisheries on what I call the circuit of where we feel it's best to take clients, the list would be Bung Samran, Bunmar Ponds, IT Lake Monsters, Shadow Lake, Pilot 111 Ponds, there's a couple of other fishing resorts such as Gillam's, Top Cats, there's Jurassic Fishing Park, there's Kowlem Dam, and then there's the Bangbagong River and the Mare Klong River. I'll go through each one one at a time and tell you what we use them for and why. I think the most popular one still today, and it's the first one that I came across that instigated Fish Thailand, is Bung Samran Lake, which is located in the heart of Bangkok, the only lake out of all the list to be located in the city itself, which is already one of the main reasons why it is so popular and always will be because of its location. But secondly, and not less importantly, the fishing is incredible. 
The stocking density is rumoured to be about 30 to 40,000 catfish in a 12-acre lake. Depths up to 10 metres, yes, it's deep, but still an incredible overstocking of fish, which is maintained and sustained. But because of that, it's a fisher cast. Your average fish is 40 pounds. There are fish to over 200 pounds. 80 pound fish are regularly caught. Most days an 80 pounder is caught by someone on the lake. There's nowhere else that can match that. I guess also another reason, because of the convenient location and the amazing fishing, is well, it doesn't matter what experience angler you are. And from a guiding point of view, it's great. If you've never fished before, Bung Samran is the lake. You're going to catch fish. My guides are there to help with every step of the way. And you're going to go home after catching fish. If you're an experienced angler, what better place to use it as a battleground for practicing playing the most powerful freshwater fish, in my opinion, that there is the Mekong catfish. An average 40, 50 pounder is going to bend 30 pound class C tackle in half and pull your arms out of your sockets. There's, there is no match for Bung Samran. It's the perfect start to a fishing holiday, and I always put it as day 10 on the last day as well. It's a great end. It doesn't matter what happens in the middle. You start, you finish on a good day. And because of that, it will always, always, always be popular. It's possible that people who have fished it once or twice may not want to immediately do it again. That's perfectly natural. But being in Bangkok, there's people always coming through every day. But although it's known for its Mekong cats, there are other species such as huge Siamese carp, whose photographs are out there for all to see. That's a great point. Bung Samran, funnily enough, does have a lot of different species. You'll hear me only ever mention the Mekong catfish because that's all we use it for. And the reason is stocking level, 30-40,000 Mekong catfish and striped catfish. How on earth do you easily, in a day trip for example, get through to an Amazon red-tailed catfish, um, a Siamese carp, when you've got all of those catfish trying to get to the bait. Before other lakes, such as lakes that I'll continue to explain, come along, we did use Bung Samran for Siamese carp fishing. It was the only venue, really, where we could do it. Two or three days fishing and one carp would be a good result to give you an idea of the challenges faced in getting through all the catfish and trying to get through to something different. So, yes, although it does have an array of species in there, if someone came to me and said, I want to catch a Paku, I wouldn't say Bung Samran. We've got other lakes for that. Having said that, if someone came to me and said, I want to catch the biggest Siamese carp in the country, Bung Samran holds it. As in, in terms of commercial, I would say certainly over 200 pounds would be not an exaggeration of what's in there. The biggest weighed fish in there that I know of was 84 kilos. And it's a famous picture that in recent years has been bounded about. There's two Thai men holding it. One's called Git, one's called Mut. They've both worked for me before. And that was a beautiful fish weighed in at 84 kilos. But back in the early days, there was one other fish that was rumoured to be over 100 kilos. And I believe it because I've seen the picture. There was a Thai man, and it's a famous picture of a Thai man wearing a yellow straw hat. And the fish is on a, just well, on, on the wooden deck, as the Thais do. And the name of the, the angler was Lung Dam, which is, amongst anybody who's researched the Thai fishing scene, is a famous picture. And that was rumoured to be over 200 pounds, 100 kilos, which, which I believe to be. I must admit that I found the fish there so obliging, hard fighting and physically wrecking, that I had to take a walk simply to get a break. It was awesome. The next one, Bunma Ponds, that's only one species of barramundi. They're all about... 
10 or 12 pounds in average. It's actually a private fish farm about an hour or so away from Bangkok. So again, within easy reach of Bangkok. The fish farm is uh, comprised of well over 60 ponds. And they're small. They're about 50 metres by 70 metres. And although it's a, it's a fish farm, the owner, with the booming sport fishing trade, has opened up ponds to allow certain guides, certain companies, to take people fishing there. It's lure fishing only. It's as prolific as Bung Samran, but with a difference. It's lure fishing for Barramundi. It's one after another, cast after cast. Great fun. You can practice all the lures in your box. You can practice your popping, your topwater lures. Your fly fishing is very, very popular there. It's a great place to catch a good fighting fish on the fly. If you recall, that's what I was doing. It's a vital part of our armoury as a fishing holiday company to have. One day there out of a five or ten day fishing holiday is, is ideal. And another venue, which I touched on earlier, IT Lake Monsters, which came about by a, a fish enthusiast, Mr. It, started off with a small pond, expanded it and expanded it until it became a about a five-acre lake for fishermen. The attraction there is simple. Lots of Amazonian and Thai predatory fish. It's mostly Amazonian. They've got a huge array of species. I don't even know if I can remember them all now. They've got Arapaima, Arowana, Amazon red-tailed catfish, Asian red-tailed catfish, great white sheepfish, or otherwise known as wallagoo. They've got giant snakehead, African walking catfish, Russian catfish, Barramundi, they've got Paku, Alligator Gar, and I'm sure there's more that I'm, I'm missing off the list. Oh, Tambaki, a beautiful fish, Tambaki, again an Amazonian fish. They've got all of these species that on some days you could get 10 or more of them in a day, even on a not such a great day where they're not all feeding, you still get six different species of fish, and that's the attraction. They don't have monstrous fish, but they do have a lot of Beautiful, beautiful fish of a variety of Amazon and Thai fish. The one thing that is maybe, unfortunately, a little bit off-putting to a lot of anglers is the price. IT Lake is possibly the uh, most expensive day ticket lake, certainly in Thailand. And whereas everybody would love to fish a day or more, not everybody has the luxury of being able to do so. But for those that can, a day or two there is, is a wonderful experience. And it's two hours from Bangkok which is day-trippable. Again, I can vouch for every bit of that. Another lake would be, and this is going back in time a little bit, Shadow Lake. Now, I, I say going back in time, it's still there today, and it's been there for almost as long as Bung Sam Ram, so 25 years or more. I came across Shadow Lake about seven years ago when I needed another venue at low cost for anglers to catch a mixture of fish. They have the Mekong catfish, striped catfish, big head carp, some Siamese carp, and some Regal. So like IT Lake, which has the Amazon mixture, this shadow lake had the Thai native species mixture, which was very appealing at the time. The truth is the name of this lake is actually called Bo Ngao Nan, which is a Thai title, which means Shadow Lake. But when I was fishing it, and I was going to put it on the books of somewhere to take people, Bong Ngao Nam was a mouthful, no one had heard of it, it didn't already have a name. So I thought, well, what does that mean? And it, it translates as Shadow Lake. So the name Shadow Lake was born. 
it wasn't to disguise where it was or anything like that. It was simply because it needed an English name for visiting anglers from whatever country on holiday to be able to identify with. And Shadow Lake was perfectly translated from Bong Ao Nam, which is its Thai name. Since then, it caused a slight bit of controversy when someone wrote a book about fishing in Thailand and they had a map of Thailand and where all the different lakes were located with a dot on the map. And they had Bong Ao Nam on the east of Bangkok and Shadow Lake on the west of Bangkok, but actually they're the same lake. So it caused a bit of a problem there, but not deliberately. Shadow Lake, one of the attractions was the Mekong catfish. At the time, seven years ago, it had enormous Mekongs, uh, several fish over 200 pounds that could be caught. It's a shallow lake, it's not very wide. Once you know roughly where they are on the lake, it was possible to catch two or three fish up to around 200 pounds in, in an evening. It was a wonderful place to take people. The fishing dropped off in recent years and we don't do so much there anymore. And other places have grown and come on as well. Another lake which is quite recent on the Thai fishing scene, but it's worth mentioning because it's had quite an impact to another market of visiting anglers, and that's Pilot 111 Ponds. Again, it's close to Bangkok, an hour or so. It's not far from Bunmar Ponds, as it happens. This is more popular for Asian visiting anglers. The Japanese, Koreans, Malays, Singapore anglers by the hundreds flock to Pilot 111 Ponds because it suits their style of fishing, being lure only, lots of small ponds, it's got quite good facilities in terms of a restaurant, lavatories. It's got salas, which is like a shaded hut to sit in around the ponds. And they offer several ponds, and each pond has a different species. So you've got a featherback pond, giant featherback pond. You've got a giant snakehead pond, striped snakehead pond, an Asian redtail pond, and a barramundi pond. Now, although the action's much slower than say the lure fishing at Bunmar Ponds, it offers more variety. The fish aren't very big there. They're all, all averaging about two or three kilos, so six or seven pounds. So you're not going there to catch a monster, but you're going there to practice your lure skills. They're quite crafty fish. And of course, not because they're big, as I said, they're not, but because they see lures being cast at them every day, Monday to Sunday, and they're in a small pond. And even though there's a good stocking of them, they're tricky to catch because they know what lures are. And the Japanese and the Asians love this because they really are quite into special lures, fancy lures, spending a bit of money on the fly tackle or the lure tackle. The latest lures come out, they can go and try them. And of course they do quite well because they're using the latest lures that no one's seen and then they get blown out and the cycle goes on and on and on. Not so popular for my market of take guiding, mostly Western visiting anglers, and therefore we use the other lakes more. But an interesting lake nonetheless. There's two fishing resorts that are quite modern in terms of the Thai fishing scene. Gillam's Fishing Resorts in Krabi, a long, long way from Bangkok. You need to take a flight to get there. And Top Cats are equally a long way on the island of Koh Samui. Now, these two are quite new on the fishing scene, and they're owned by Westerners. They're run by Englishmen, I believe. And they've done a good job with facilities and comfort and trying to appeal to the Western angler. I'd say about five years old from speaking today. They're about five or six years old. But they're slightly different in terms that they are Western run. They're not typically on our circuit of waters because they're so far away from Bangkok. It makes it not quite as convenient. The last lake to touch upon would be my own one. Recently, just opened, 
maybe only a year now, is Jurassic Mountain Resort and Fishing Park, or a lot of people know it as just Jurassic Fishing Park. That's based two hours from Bangkok in Chatham, making it viable for day trips, hence the location I chose. But also, being a resort, a fishing resort, it's appealing for people who want to fish multiple days and stay in comfort bar, restaurant. The fishing is again a, a slightly new concept because having done what I've done over the last few years, I knew what we needed in the fishing scene and what was already covered. For example, Bung Samran is the greatest Mekong catfish fishing you'll ever come across. We're not going to try and repeat what they've done. Bunma Ponds and Pilot, they offer lure fishing heaven. IT Lake, a wonderful mixture of every species of Amazon and Thai predatory fish you can ever imagine. And with this, we needed a, a different concept. And the one fish that people want to catch the most, in my experience over the few years, that was the hardest to catch is the Siamese carp. So we've gone down the road of putting in big numbers of Siamese carp so that people generally catch a few in a day, as opposed to catching one in three days, which was what it was taking us at Bung Sam Ram. The other fish is the arapaima that we've put in. Now, there are several venues with arapaima nowadays in Thailand, but I have a policy of I don't have a single arapaima under 120, 130 pounds in the lake, up to about nearly 300 pounds. It may take longer to catch an arapaima at Jurassic than other places. It might take a few days, but you won't catch anything under 130, so it's a fish of a lifetime worth fishing for. And of course, the red tail catfish, the Amazon red tail, which is also in many places we have as well in Jurassic. And I, I think really that's the list of the premier fisheries in the country, fisheries that I still use to this day for different species, for what different anglers want to catch at different places, up to and including entire fishing holidays and making a safari of every single one of the ones I've just mentioned. Now you stock Arapaima here at Jurassic. But I know from comments that I've picked up on that most fishery owners, yourself included, would rather they were not available. So why is that? The lesser known fact of arapaima fishing, and, and rather the sad fact, that I guess fishery owners like myself and, and guides like myself uh, have kind of created the rod for our own back, is that the survival rate after being caught and released, however professional and well you handle these fish, However safe the rigs you're using, with all of these in place, we lose fish. They don't all go back and live. On average, I would say the life expectancy of what I've seen of a big arapaima, I'm not talking about the small ones, they're a bit different. And any arapaima over 100 pounds, let's just say, to be caught 10 times, you'd be happy with that as a fishery owner. 10 catches. Some go on to 20, 30 catches. There are always some. But there's one thing that is for sure about arapaima. It's not if it dies, it's when it dies. If it doesn't die this time, it will die a time due to being caught and released. And there's not a lot we can do about it currently. Every fishery owner, every fish handler, including myself, has scrutinised everything that we do and everything everyone else does, from the hooking, from the playing, from the handling, the release, and still you lose fish. We've learnt a lot about them. The rigs we use, uh, the way we handle them, and how we make them breathe before being released. We've got very specific protocols. And we've got a very, very good survival rate at, say, Jurassic. We lost six in our first year, which is the best any fishery's done. Most lose a dozen or dozens. And uh, the trouble with it is, if you don't stock arapaima, 
in this day and of age where there's so much media hype about them, they're on the TV, National Geographic, Discovery, all the fishing shows, Arapaima are mad. They're in the angling tabloids, all the big names in angling have cradled two, three hundred pounders. We use them in adverts because they're the fish that everyone wants. But of course that breeds a never-ending cycle. If you don't have Arapaima, people will just go to a fishery where there is one. It's as simple as that. We have to have them. We make a loss on Arapaima because they die. But if we weren't to have Arapaima, then we'd have no anglers at all. The only way that it would work is that if every fishery in Thailand said, right, no more Arapaima, everyone at the same time gives up their Arapaima, so to speak, gives them to the zoo or aquatics or whatever, gives them up. That would be the only way to ensure that everyone's on a level playing field and there'd be no more Arapaima fishing in Thailand. But that's just, it, it would be impossible. It would be like the world giving up nuclear weapons. Who's going to do it first? Constructing these lakes and ploughing both good money and good fish into them has certainly caught on here with investors from all over the place, including the UK, getting in onto the act. But I suppose that like all branches of business, the market can only potentially support so much. So what does the future hold for further investment, visitor numbers and the Thai authorities allowing things to continue as they are? In short, to begin with, the Thai fishing scene has not peaked. It's growing, and it's growing fast. The numbers of anglers getting interested in the Thai fishing scene and visiting the Thai fishing scene are increasing. The number of anglers that are finding going to their very popular European venues, Spain and France and the Carp Lakes over there, uh, which once upon a time was incredibly popular, they're now venturing to Thailand. Thailand's in more media, both TV and angling tabloids, than it ever has been before. Big named anglers that we all know the names of have come over and had fishing experience and written about them or made film. So the fishing scene here is growing, along with, therefore, the fishing venues. From the venue list that I've explained, they might have borne the fishing scene. But when I did Jurassic, it was certainly the, the perfect time to do it. Or should I say, I wouldn't have wanted to do it later. We've now finished completing the digging of Jurassic Fishing Park. And it's taken two years from start to finish to get to a, a, let's just say, a matured point where it is a completed venue with a good stock of fish. And I think it's just the perfect time. I believe over the next five years, numbers are going to rise. I think it's still climbing, the visiting anglers. And I think we will see more fisheries develop. There is more room for them. But the concepts are getting a little bit trickier to choose. You've got to be a little bit more careful now about where you're going to do it in the country. You can't just do it anywhere. There's several spread around strategically located nowadays. So to do another one, you've got to think about where, you've got to think about what species, the concept, what's your market, how you're going to do it. There's a lot more to think about now. You can't just be lucky anymore. But with the right knowledge, I think it's still viable to make a good business out here with new fisheries even now, even in the future, within the next five to ten years perhaps. Irrespective of what your reply had been to the previous question, it wouldn't have profound repercussions on your overall business in the way that it might with other fishery owners, because regardless of how well or poorly these fisheries subsequently fare, there will always be some turnover of visitors wanting guided trips to them, and as importantly, to other natural venues, particularly out in the wild, which Fish Thailand also caters for. That's right, and as you say, if there was a decline in commercial fisheries for whatever reason, there's the wilderness fishing, which I haven't touched on, but is actually the style of fishing that's closest to my heart. There's Fish Thailand guiding operation with a big team of guides. Over the years, we've spent a lot of time exploring the wilderness scene out here. 
again it's one of those things it's not that we're creating it or inventing it it's always been there the jungle waters of Kowlem Dam have been there for many many years the rivers have been here for virtually forever but it's that we're learning them we're practicing on them we're finding fish on them in the day of age where yes the natural fish stocks in the wild are depleting slowly as I've touched on earlier but it doesn't mean to say that you can't go further than before, deeper into the jungle than before. And on rod and line, you can still have some fabulous fishing, targeting some incredible fish. A few of them to mention would be the rohu. Funnily enough, not a native fish. It is an Indian fish, an Indian carp. It looks like a common carp. But if you ask any Thai who lives out in these places, is rohu from Thailand? They'll probably say yes. It's been here that long. As far as I'm concerned, it's a Thai fish now. That's basically, like I call it, jungle carp fishing. It's a wonderful form of fishing. Six big pen surf rods bolt upright in the air with one kilo balls of method mix around a method feeder, cast out to a marker float, which has had seven days of pre-baiting, 100 kilos a day around, in a vast jungle water surrounded by mountains, 65 kilometers long of lake. It's as wild carp fishing as you can possibly imagine. It's more wild than any big French cassine or salagou. It's as wild as they come. These fish haven't been caught because if they were, it would have been by a tie and it would have been eaten. So when you catch one, then they go like the clappers in 40 foot of gin clear water. It's flooded jungle, snags everywhere. When you catch one, if you land it, because you only land about 6 out of 10, it's the most incredible experience I think that fishing offers in Thailand. For my own personal opinion, you know that that fish has never been caught. It's lived its whole life in a jungle water and it swims in a vast shoal and there's probably adults bigger than it, twice its size that you, you just want to hook. Another form of fishing in Kowlem Dam, and when I say Kowlem Dam, it could be any dam in Thailand. They all share very similar properties. Is snakehead fishing something that is very close to my heart again? You're generally speaking in a boat, moving at walking pace, being rowed or under electric power at walking pace, and you're standing up, constantly casting top water lures to the edge of marginal snags or up the margins of islands, and you're banging out poppers, buzzbaits, scum frogs, anything that looks good across the top, and you retrieve fast. You get into a zone of just absorbing in where you are, the jungle and the, the sounds of the birds, the monkeys, sometimes elephants crushing through the jungle. But the water's nearly always calm when we go at the right time of year. And just out of nowhere, you could have been casting for an hour or half a day, out of nowhere, you have the fright of your life. It's, it's like a lump of dynamite's gone off under your lure, and then you've just remembered your fishing, and your immediate reaction's to strike, and you, and you hook a snakehead, and big or small, these aren't vastly big fish anyway, okay? They're normally a couple of kilos, five or kilos is great. So it's not a size fish, but it's where you are. It's the take, the vicious attack. Uh, you'll never see more violent explosion on a lure than a snakehead ever. And then it's a short-lived fight, but it's frantic because your heart's pumping, the adrenaline's going, you're trying to keep it away from the snags. And then with all that in mind, you know that a snakehead with such a bony mouth only has to open its mouth and the hooks will just fly out back at you anyway. So it's possibly the most exciting form of lure fishing I know, but possibly also the most frustrating, but set amongst the jungle. What I was saying about lots of dams in Thailand all being similar, what I mean by that is they all have snakehead, a lot of them have rohu, but one thing they all share in common is it's very, very seasonal. 
You can't just go fishing for Rohu. You've got to make sure that it's at the time when the rains are just coming to the end of the monsoon, which changes every year slightly, week to week, month to month, each year. It's got to be when the rains are, are just filled the dam up to full. The rains have just stopped, but the important thing is the water is no longer creeping up. It can't be creeping up or it can't be dropping. It's got to be still. You'll have about four to eight weeks of that condition. Ideal, perfect. That is the time. I wouldn't go any other time, you'd probably blank. Snakehead, you can catch them all year round. But, again, just before the rainy season, or just as it starts is best, the opposite to the Rohu, because naturally, the snakehead will spawn, or they'll go through the motions of spawning, when the water starts rising, when the rain comes, they inherently know that the jungle is about to be flooded. They're about to have a habitat where they can build a nest. They don't just spawn on undergrowth, they build a nest by swirling in the flooded grass, and that's the best snakehead fishing because you're going into the home of someone it's like going into someone's house that they've just built i mean you're going to defend it and a lure flying over the top is just fantastic fun and i think wild fishing you probably tell it it's my most loved form offers all of the above for my personal opinion the commercial lakes offer a fantastic facility for people on holiday who don't have a great deal of time for who it is important to catch fish. They've spent money, they've come across the world. There's so many fish to offer. These commercial venues are wonderful in offering a, a visiting angler a multitude of species in a short space of time. But for myself living here, and I, I have the luxury of being able to go as and when, I would only choose my wild fishing. Touching on further from that would be which I must feel a little bit different about, funnily enough, is the stingray fishing, the freshwater stingray fishing, which in recent years has become like a fad. It's becoming more and more popular, but I think it's going to... The whistle will blow and the bubble will burst, and I think it won't keep becoming popular like the Mekong catfish, the arapaima, and things like this. The reasons being that stingray fishing, albeit wild, the Bangbagong River, the Mae Klong River around central Thailand, typically around the outskirts of Bangkok and maybe an hour beyond, offer, yes, some of the biggest freshwater fish in the world, 500, 600, 700 pound stingray. But for myself, it's, you hook one eventually. And unless we swear blind to you that you've hooked one, you won't believe you've hooked a fish. Uh, you'll just think you've got the bottom. And it's not until we get over it in the boat, lock up down with enormous marlin fishing grade tackle, and then hold the rod in full bend for a few minutes, at which point the angler's saying, no, I know what a fish is, and this is a snag. And then we have to say, wait, wait, wait. And then in a little bit longer, it starts moving, and then the angler believes that they have actually got a stingray on the end. But that's the fight. It's not like a fish running or jumping. You don't play it away from snags. It's like a car stuck on the bottom of a deep, powerful, muddy river that you've, in my opinion, that you've slowly got to crank up off the bottom over a space of time of, well, up to four to six hours if it's, if it's a record or an hour if it's not. But the creature itself is appealing and that's where I do like the stingray. When you've actually got the creature up on the surface, you know, it's, it's in your wake, it's in the camera, you're looking at it, you're touching it, that's a wonderful experience because it's nature and it is a beautiful, beautiful creature. But as for a sport fish, I don't even look at it as a fish, and I don't even look at it as sport, really. But it is wilderness fishing. You, you can't argue that, I suppose. So it's very much Thailand for you at the moment, then? 
No thoughts of ever relocating back to cold, wet, windy England in the near future, or for that matter, looking for new challenges elsewhere in the world. Now, you've just answered the question for me there, there Phil, but I'll divulge a little bit. Now, my, I have a business here, I built a fishery here, my life is here. I have no plans on going anywhere, only developing things further here. But the reasons really are that, and without boring you, a little bit of history is leaving England at 21, I've basically spent all my 20s and early 30s in Thailand. I don't have anything in England, I don't have any ties to England, but it's not just that, it's more that everything I've made and everything I've built is in Thailand. I don't know anything else. To go back to England would be very difficult and probably very strange. I feel like a bit of a tourist in, in my own country, I think. So no, I, I certainly certainly have no plans on going anywhere. And having fish with you over here for all those big hard-fighting critters you just mentioned under seemingly endless sunlit skies, who can blame you for that? For me, it's back now to the wind and rain of January in the UK, which poses the question, why on earth is everyone living outside of Britain, and particular other parts of the EU, clamouring to get into the place when all we can think of as being elsewhere? Not a question I'm expecting you to answer, by the way, but a puzzle nonetheless. So for now, it's a very big thank you for painting such an alluring picture of the kind of fishing most people can only dream about. 